Hey there. I hope you all have been listening to our financial impact series, where we're diving into the financial impact that COVID-19 is having on different parts of the healthcare industry. We've released two episodes so far, one on hospitals and one on payers. If you haven't listened to those, you should go do that now. But I wanted to go a little bit deeper into the impact on hospitals. At the end of April, the House approved a fourth stimulus package intended to help offset some of the economic effects COVID is having on the healthcare industry. All that money is likely to ease some of the short-term cash flow challenges that hospitals are facing. So I wanted to bring Christopher back to Radio Advisory for an update on hospital finances. Christopher, the last time that we spoke, the financial position for hospitals and health systems actually looked pretty dire. What's changed since then? Well, what's changed is two stimulus acts that have injected a lot of money into the healthcare financial system, and it really has done a lot to stabilize a lot of short-term cash flow. We can talk about that a little bit more if you want. Let's go ahead and, and dive right in. We know this is the fourth stimulus package. Tell me how it actually updates the CARES Act. Sure. So the $100 billion that was allocated to providers in the first CARES Act gave the industry a lot of money, about $108,000 per hospital bed. But the first concern was around speed. So the first $30 billion of that $100 billion was just based on Medicare fee-for-service revenue. And the big criticism at the time was that it didn't take into account total revenue, nor the relative level of COVID volumes providers were seeing, nor whether the hospital was financially insecure because it's a safety net provider, for example. So there were a lot of criticisms around that, and the remaining allocation has really been designed to address that. So the initial $30 billion was distributed quickly, but not necessarily based on need. Now we've got more information on the remaining $70 billion. I think that's where you're going next. Right. So the remaining dollar allocations really addressed all the concerns I just brought up. So there was $20 billion based on all patient revenue, $10 billion for providers disproportionately affected by COVID, another $10 billion for vulnerable rural providers, and the remaining $30 billion to providers in the greatest needs. So safety net orgs, skilled nursing facilities, the Indian Health Service, providers with high Medicaid volumes or levels of uninsured. So all of the criticisms were addressed in some form or another, and people can quibble about the relative distribution of that, but when it really comes down to it, there was a lot of money that was given in terms of just outright grants. And Christopher, as you're going through the new stimulus package, I'm curious, is there anything that that kind of surprised you or, or maybe isn't getting a lot of attention right now? I think the thing that's not getting a ton of attention is that the CARES Act also provided for so-called accelerated or advanced payments, which is essentially getting a loan from CMS for payments that were likely to happen in the near future anyway. To put this in perspective, CMS had approved 100 applications or about 100 applications for advanced payments in its history prior to COVID. Since the CARES Act was passed, that mandated accelerated payments, CMS has approved 21,000 requests hmm. with about $60 billion going to hospitals and another $40 billion going to Medicare Part B providers. That's atop the $100 billion in CARES grants. This has been a great deal of money that has made it into the system in a very short amount of time. Got it. So it's both new payments and advanced payments in these loans that you're talking about. Right. And technically, these loans have to be repaid, giving providers a very strong incentive to make up for lost volume. But it's undeniable that these loans get out the door a lot faster than grants and have helped to stabilize near-term cash flows. When we talk to hospital CFOs, for example, 
they're breathing a lot easier than they were just a couple of weeks ago. Many tell us that they have taken out the maximum as a just-in-case measure with the full knowledge that you know they could have to return it. But also remember, regulators and legislators will be under enormous pressure to relax repayment terms and guidelines, so it's really unclear when or how much of that money will actually get repaid. And that fourth stimulus package, it added an additional $75 billion to providers. Can you tell us a little bit about how those funds are actually coming to hospitals? Yeah, so the, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program and the Health Care Enhancement Act, which is really about stabilizing the PPP, allocated about $500 billion to support healthcare providers and small businesses, $75 billion of which was specifically aimed at hospitals. So the extra funds that are for small businesses are going to be available to physician groups as well. So we expect that $75 billion to be doled out pretty much based on the prior guidelines. So the biggest change since we spoke last is just that there's a lot more cash available to hospitals, both in new payments and in these advanced payments or these loans. I'm curious, how does that change your long-term outlook on the prognosis of hospitals and health systems? It's really going to depend on how quickly these provider organizations can return to normal operations, if they can return to normal operations, and how much foregone care they can provide in the months ahead. We've listened in on a number of for-profits Q1 earnings calls, and many providers are pretty confident that they can start to ramp up electives quickly. We're hearing something similar from the not-for-profit side as well. And honestly, I think most are a bit overconfident here. I've heard estimates that they'll be able to get to 90% of expected demand for the year by the end of 2020. And honestly, that seems unlikely. Based on our own analysis, it will take a typical org the remainder of the year to capture pent-up demand, assuming no changes to capacity. But the need to ensure safe hospital conditions will take a toll on throughput. And it's, it's just going to be an uphill battle for hospitals to convince patients that it's safe to return to the hospital. Personally, I think most orgs will struggle to get to 80%. But it's likely that some will outperform. And so there will be real winners and losers over the coming months. And we'll be watching. And Christopher, the last time that we talked about hospital finances, you hypothesized that you wouldn't be that surprised if margins were actually negative. Have you changed your perception on on hospital margins? Potentially. I think the two things you're going to have to watch for is how well hospitals do at capturing those lost volumes. And second is how much of those loans will have to end up getting repaid. Because honestly, if the loan repayment terms are relaxed, that's going to help hospital finances quite a bit. And if hospitals outperform on capturing lost volume, they're going to outperform on margins. So there are a lot of unknowns in the coming months, but we're going to have to really watch for changes to health policy going forward. So clearly there are a ton of factors at play here, but really are hospital margins going to be negative in the future? At current course and speed, I think break even at best is something that I would probably bet on. But there are enough unknowns in terms of hospital performance on their own operations and in terms of repayment terms that it could swing pretty significantly in either direction. So there's a great deal of uncertainty right now. I wish I could be more specific. Hmm. Well, Christopher, thanks for the quick update. Thanks for having me. Stay healthy, everyone. <laughs> 